0: morning. Good morning. morning. we are all looking so happy this morning. That's what it is. Is that who that is? Oh, that's I thought we had a visitor over there. <laughs> So we're starting a new series today, and it's Lent, it's Lent, and uh, many of you probably grew up with the church year, um, some of you probably, like me, didn't actually grow up with the church year, um, I'm a kind of late to the party. Uh, Relatively speaking, Um, we didn't celebrate Lent that I recall when I was growing up. Um, Lent, as you know, is preparation for the season of Easter, (coughs) which is the most important feast day on the church's calendar. Uh, You wouldn't necessarily know that in American culture, which makes a big deal out of Christmas. Uh, Christmas is a really uh, relatively minor and late addition to the church calendar. Um, Easter is the is the centerpiece uh, for good reason, right? I mean, the whole uh, mystery of cross and resurrection is at the very heart of our faith. And so, Early on in the church's history, uh, it was typical to, to baptize new converts on Easter, right? And so there was preparation for that. And so uh, penitents, people who were going to be baptized, um, would have this period of uh, repentance and penance ahead of Easter in preparation for their baptism about the about the eighth century, uh, the church decided, guess what we're we're all penitents. Uh, we're all in need of repenting, not just those who are preparing for baptism. And so Lent became uh, this forty day period. Uh, forty days is this. Uh, 40 is a, a, a pretty powerful, symbolic number uh, in Scripture, isn't it? Um, and so, 40 days uh, ahead of Easter. Um, if you count back 40 days, you don't count Sundays, as you know, uh, because Sundays are always a feast day, and so you don't count Sundays. Um, but 40 days prior to Easter, that's where you get Ash Wednesday. And so we're entering into, this is the first Sunday of Lent, and the church is beginning uh, this new series on what really matters. And as I told you last week, those who were here, uh, Mark Gooden um, asked if we in this class might also reflect uh, on these matters that the the church as a whole is going to be taking up in the Sunday series although I also noted this morning that Mark was asked by the Church and Society uh, Committee to talk about world hunger this morning and so he actually didn't <coughs> take up the series. <laughs> so I'll be sending him a note of thanks this week. <laughs> uh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, it's, it's easy um, to think about um, I mean, some of you thought, gosh, we just we just got done with you know five weeks on dying and caring for the dying, and now we're doing Lent <laughs> and repentance and sin. It's like this can be an understandable. Um, But Lent is, while it is a kind of sobering season, for sure. I mean, I find it sobering to slow down and look at my shortcomings. You probably do, too. It's not my favorite thing to do. Um, But just as we were reminded that God is capable of redeeming our dying and God can work through our care for the dying, Uh, repentance is for our good right I mean that's that's hard to get our heads around we're we're not repenting for God (laughs) right Uh, repentance which literally means turning around and going the other direction right doesn't mean just feeling bad I mean you can feel bad for all kinds of things and just keep on doing it right you sort of temporarily feel bad then you just go back to doing it. But the, the whole notion of repentance is, is to turn around and go the other direction. Um, once you've realized you're going in the wrong direction, and that, that's a good thing. I mean, if you care about where you're going, finding out that you're going the wrong direction is actually good news, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know if you've ever taken a trip and gotten hopelessly lost. Um, it's not as common today with GPS, uh, but when you used to have a navigator in the front seat who may or may not know how to read a map, um, it was more common. right? Or if you have the person driving, who's one of those people who refuses to ask for help, then uh, you have that issue too, right? So it's blame all around. Um, but once you actually find your way I mean, I can remember more than once uh, when I've been traveling, when I got turned around and I I really wasn't even sure how to get unlost. Um, But once I figured out where I was going, it was enormous relief. It was enormous relief. And in some ways, Lent is a kind of period of, it's kind of diagnostic if you want to switch metaphors to kind of a medical metaphor. Um, my good I have a good friend uh, who I've known for a little over 30 years. We were in graduate school together. He teaches with me at Milligan now. Um, he had on Friday what a lot of you have had, which was a full hip replacement. He's younger than I am, just a kid, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, it went really well, you know, they do these things, I mean, it's like brushing your teeth anymore, it seems like. They replace your hip and send you out the next day, as you know. Um, but it was enormous relief for him, already. I mean, he, certainly he has, you know, pain from the, the surgery site, but, I mean, it was, it was painful for us to just watch him try to walk across a room. He could barely walk, right? Now, he could have just ignored that, I suppose. Although he found out once they did the surgery, he was only days away from it just shattering. Um, So he probably couldn't have ignored it forever. Um, But he actually, and it was actually good news. I I visited with him yesterday. It was it was good news when the doctor told him that actually it was really really bad, worse than they thought. And they were really glad that he didn't wait until the end of the semester to get it done. Um, And he felt relief because he thought, it it wasn't just me. I wasn't crazy. Right? Uh, I have this sense that maybe I'm just just a baby making up all this pain. Right? Um, And the same thing can go for Lent. I mean, yes, it is sobering. um, But it's also good news. If you care about... Uh, our kind of spiritual health. If you care about uh, if I care about the state of my my soul, the state of my life with God, then to be to to have a period when I'm willing to slow down and honestly look at my life and what Mark's asking us to do is to look at the life of our church in a good way, in a good way, in a way for us to try to get a handle on uh, where we're going. Um, as you know, there are there are plans. Uh, you heard from the futures team a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, from Bob Cantler, there are plans in our congregation uh, about how we're going to be moving forward. But there's also a fair bit of anxiety uh, about the whole United Methodist Church and about. Uh, Christians across the whole country there's a lot of division and it's not just in politics right there's a lot of division within the church there's a lot of anxiety about how to move forward there's anxiety about whether the church can remain together and just like in politics everybody's got their own ideas about how to fix it right you ask a hundred people how to fix the government? You get a hundred different ideas, right? You ask a hundred Methodists how to fix the United Methodist Church, you get a hundred different ideas. Um, and what the the book that we're the the sermon series for the series of for the period of Lent is about is trying to step back from all the things that might grab our attention and might be. Uh, matters for uh, debate, discussion, disagreement, argument, and to try to focus on what really matters. What really matters? Um, It's, as we said last week, it's it's at times what every family does. Um, When a family finds itself in trouble, finds itself in turmoil, Uh, finds itself in sort of disarray. Sometimes it can be really helpful just to slow down and remind yourself, like, what really matters here as a family? And from early on, one of the primary images for the church uh, is not only the body of Christ, but also the family of God. There's a sense in which we're family. We call each other brothers and sisters, and we do that so often, that's sort of lost on us. right? I mean, that's, that's an odd thing to do in American culture, to call people who aren't your blood uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, but we're family, and times like these, it's helpful to step back and ask ourselves, what really matters? And so we're just going to get started today. Um, and hopefully Mark will catch up with us at some point. <laughs> this class always has been the trendsetters. So, um, so the, the book, again, which we're not reading in class, I mean, you could get a copy if you wanted to. I'm sure it's available at your uh, favorite online bookseller. Uh, it's by Thomas Bickerton, who's a, a bishop in the United you know, Methodist Church called, What Are We Fighting For?, which we mentioned last week is wonderfully uh, ambiguous, right? Um, it can be read like, what are you fighting for? Like what parents say to their kids when they're just exasperated, they just won't stop the bickering. Like, what are you fighting for is knock it off. But there's also the sense of what are we fighting for, right? Uh, to fight for something that matters. And so the idea is to try to get our minds around what is what's the core of the matter. And at one level, Lent has always been an examination about our deepest desires. Because when you when you get to the core of the matter uh, and the, the English, word core comes from a Latin word for heart, right? Um, The core of the matter, the heart of the matter, um, is that we're animated by our desires. What do we want? Um, When you actually think about your daily life, whether it's this week over the course of your life, most days, uh, at some level, we are animated, we are moved by what we want. What, what do we desire? And the answer is, well, a whole lot of things, probably. Um, and often, uh, part of the challenge of being human is negotiating those various desires that we want. And with the full realization, of course, that we're shaped by a culture, we all are, every person, every culture is, uh, we live in cultures that shape our desires right i didn't come out of the womb wanting all that i want out of life uh, you didn't either um, i've been deeply formed at times deformed right other times reformed transformed um, but that's the christian life and and we do this together and part of what lent is about is stepping back and being reminded what what should we desire Uh, what should we want Um, what's at the heart of our life together Uh, not just as as Muncie but yes as Muncie but as as the church as a whole what does the church what should we desire and so over the next several weeks we'll be we'll be looking at that to try to get our heads around what really matters as a way of trying to discern how to sort through um, things that are most essential uh, for our life together as a family, as part of the body of Christ, and things that we might still care about, but at the end of the day, we think they're non-essential. That not everything hangs on it. And as we alluded to last week, um, I wish that all the arguments that we had as a family in my household were about things that really matter. But looking back on it, I'm not sure I could in good conscience say that, right? How many times have we had a disagreement in our household or have you had a disagreement in your household? and two or three weeks later, you look back and say, what was that about? Why did, why, why did we get so bent out of shape about that? And you can, sort of, you can sort of follow the path, and you can kind of remember sometimes like how you got there, but it still sort of leads you to head shaking at times, right? Just like, we got bent out of shape about that. Um, what was that? Um, yeah, and the the church can be the same way, right? We can find ourselves in the midst of things that in the moment seem like everything hangs on it, and maybe, maybe a lot hangs on it, but then maybe not, and how would we decide whether everything hangs on it or not? Well, that's what we hope to explore, um, during Lent as a way of, um, reminding ourselves of what matters and using that core of what matters uh, to remind us when we're in the midst of difficult conversations, maybe how to keep some perspective uh, about what we share. That's really, really crucial. Uh, In the the opening uh, chapter of Bickerton's book, um, he suggests that there's several things that we need more of Um, in order to get to the heart of the matter and get clear about some things. And there's also some things we need less of. And being a good pastor, you know, he can't help himself but give us five words that all begin with the same letter. Uh, Which is nice for me because it makes it possible for me to remember them. So maybe you too. So uh, just in the time left, we'll just kind of run through these five things. Uh, because he thinks these are things that are sort of preliminary that we need to be clear that this is part of the cultural situation that we find ourselves in the first thing that he says we need more of and they're all I words is inspiration Um, most of us are moved to action uh, by being inspired right um, he doesn't say this, but I think we all know this is true. Uh, guilt is a poor motivator. Um, not to say we don't try that lever a lot in families. Um, but it, it's a short term, it's a short-term fix, right? You can guilt somebody into doing something short term, but it's not a lasting uh, motivator most of us long, I think most of us long to be inspired and I think Christians are the same way. I think um, what particularly in a world where it seems like um, hope and joy uh, are in short supply that I think we long To be inspired, and not inspired in some type of cheap way, right? Uh, Not some kind of Pollyannish way where we ignore the challenges in front of us. But I think most of us long to be inspired. And for Christians, that word is pretty uh, important. I mean, inspired means to breathe in, right? I mean, this is. to, to have the breath blown in us, it's the, it's the vision of Genesis 1, right? That God creates us. We just were reminded of this uh, on Ash Wednesday, right? From the dust we've come and to dust we shall return, right? We're, we're from the dust, but we're God dust in which God has breathed into us and made us alive, <laughs> And so we're, and we're people whom Jesus breathes on after the resurrection, right? Breathe Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, upon us and makes us alive yet again. Um, so at, at the very beginning, we are inspired by God. And Jesus comes and inspires us. We're, we're called to be people of the Spirit, People who are animated by the life-giving spirit of God. And that can happen in lots of different ways as far as what it looks like in daily life. Um, One of the reasons I've asked you um, during this, what I've declared, if you've been here, you know I've declared, I have no power to declare anything, but... That's part of the joke, but to the extent that I can't declare anything, I've declared 2017 the, the, the year of vulnerability you'll recall. I know a lot of you tried to forget that already, but I'm just reminding you uh, this is the year of vulnerability after our series uh, in the fall, uh, early winter on vulnerability. And one of the things I've asked you, we're, we're beginning to sign up for small groups, and one of the things I've asked you to consider uh, during small group meetings this year is maybe create the space uh, during your small group gatherings to have one person share a bit of their life story. Um, I think a lot about you all during the week and I think what amazing stories I feel sure are here in this room that most people don't know. That you don't even know yourselves in the room, let alone outside the rest of the congregation. Um, Stories that would inspire. You could inspire each other. Uh, You would inspire another generation. Uh, People need to hear your stories. Um, And I want to continue to urge you to be willing to do that. It doesn't have to. I mean, the small group setting is just one opportunity. Um, I just had a sense that if I just told you to start sharing your stories, it would just never happen. Um, so I'm trying to give it just a little bit of uh, form, or at least I mean, I, I again, I'm not going to check, I'm not taking attendance, or not. You know, you don't have to turn in your work. Uh, it's not that. Um, but I, I'm. I'm really serious about this. Um, we, we need to hear your stories. Other people need to hear your stories, even if you think it's very, very uninteresting. Um, you don't get to be the, you don't get to make that call, if I can be so bold to say. Um, you don't, you don't get to say what might inspire somebody else. Uh, somebody else might absolutely need to hear your story and you wouldn't even know it. Um, so we just wanna encourage you to think about that. We, we need more inspiration. I think there's uh, an incredible amount of inspiration right here in this room that probably needs to get out a little wider. So I just wanna encourage you to do that in whatever ways uh, you can find to do it. That's just one way, but it's a real concrete way, and it's one thing that I've mentioned before and just wanna, at the risk of being, uh, of nagging you. I won't say this every week, but I'm probably gonna say it again. Uh, And so, I hope you will. And again, I hope you you take some joy in that. you can't separate who you are from the story you tell about yourself. And it's one way of us getting to know each other uh, as a body. Um, It's another way, it's a way of seeing how, um, it doesn't have to be, I'm not even talking about uh, sort of classic testimony. Although I'd like to think there might be some points in your story where you might be able to point to where God has been at work in surprising ways. Uh, I think that would be good for people to hear. Um, so, inspiration—we uh, probably need a little more inspiration in a world um, short on on hope. And in some ways, our our life together ought to be an inspiration. To our neighbors, right? Um, So, inspiration. But that's just one of the one of the eyes that we need. Uh, One of the things that uh, Bickerton uh, mentions that we we wrestle with is, and we need a little more of, is integration. And he reminds us that um, nearly, whatever you make of surveys, whatever surveys are shown about the coming generations, about their disaffection with with church life, why so many young people find it difficult to commit uh, to congregational life, is they find that we aren't, Doing as good a job as they would like in integrating what we say we believe with the way that we live. Um, it's not a it's not a new problem in the church, of course. Um, it is a real perceptual problem at the least, but probably it's true, right? I mean, um, young people today have little interest in being part of something that doesn't, from best they can tell, make any difference in the world. Um, They don't they don't want, if, if the church is just another social club that you can belong to, where you gather with people who are sort of like you. You know, you got the Rotary, you got the Kiwanis, you got the Junior League, and you got Muncie. I mean, they're just not interested. Right? They're just not interested. And if you ask them why they're not interested, just, they it, it just don't, they're not clear it makes a difference in the way we live our lives. Now, that stings. I'll be the first to say that stings. Uh, and it, it, it probably ought to sting, if we're honest. Um, and so we probably we need to keep reminding ourselves that the way we live our lives, if it isn't flowing out of this inspiration, out of this vision of what God is doing in the world that has real impact on the way that you and I live our lives day to day, then the world has probably a right to ask us, like, why should I care? Why should I care? (coughs) Um, And so, might need a little more integration. The third eye is we, we might need a little less isolation. A little less isolation. And here Bickerton's pointing to the fact that we live in a society that more and more makes it easy for us uh, to surround ourselves with people who think just like us. Um, and that's everything from uh, our media sources uh, to just the people that we hang around with. I mean, it's it's really easy. I mean, I can I can order my daily life quite easily uh, to rarely, if ever, be in serious conversation with anyone who I have disagreements disagreements with. It's really quite easy. Um, it's also quite easy to surround myself with voices that pretty much echo what I already believe. And Bickerton's right to say, um, because that, as a society, has become the sort of norm, it, it makes that has impact on our life together when we gather. Because if if I don't have any daily experience of having serious, sympathetic, open conversation and engagement with people who are different than I am then it's probably going to be a challenge to do to have those kind of conversations here we aren't really very well equipped for it and so it wouldn't necessarily surprise us if, because we're good Christians and you know want to do things with all propriety um, we probably just avoid having hard conversations at all in church because we really don't know how to have them. And so, the question is, how do we how do we be a little less isolated? Uh, and a lot of it's I mean, it's not like somebody else has isolated us; it's self chosen. Okay, um, and so presumably if we've chosen to be this way, mainly because it's so easy in our current context, then presumably we could choose to be a little less isolated. And so, and that might be something as simple as, seemingly simple, it's not simple. (laughs) But when you say it out loud, you think, well, that's not like crazy. But I mean, what would it mean if we all committed this week, one time, once, to engage, to find a way. I don't know what this would mean in your, what your daily life looks like, but each of us this week would, once, in the daily rhythm of our day, seek out someone who we have a pretty good idea, probably sees the world differently. Than we do, than I do, and try to just engage them in conversation, not about anything crazy. I'm not asking you to, you know, stir up a hornet's nest. <laughs> I'm just asking you to actually engage them as a human being and be reminded that they desire most of the same things you desire, most of the same things I desire. That they really aren't that much different than I am. To be reminded of that, they're created in the same image of God that I'm created in. Um, that they're beloved of God just like I am, and and to not just say that in theory, but to be reminded of it just by just for one person. And, and I just wonder, like in the, the next week, I saw it out somebody else, right? right. To just to make my circle a little bit bigger, to be reminded that, you know. All God's people don't look just like me. Which, again, I think I know in theory in my head. I just wonder if the way I live out my life each day actually bears witness to that. So a little less isolation. Fourth thing is a little less independence. A little less independence, which is something we pride ourselves on um, but in the Christian life, it's deeply problematic, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this before in here, so we don't have to linger too long on this. Um, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of the body of Christ, you know that you, your life, my life, we all know this, absolutely dependent on God. And as the body of Christ, we are supposed to be willing to be dependent on each other. As hard as that is, in a society that prides us on independence. But if if we are the body of if we are the body of Christ and we are ourselves body parts, if you will. I mean, the body parts don't get to decide; they're independent of the other body parts. That's not going to go well. Okay, I can't have. Parts of my body that decide to go it alone, that they don't need the rest of the body. That's not gonna work. Paul saw this, right, 2,000 years ago. The very same metaphor. Parts of the body, that were saying, I don't need you. Right? And what would it mean for us to cultivate a, sense, a healthy sense of dependence on each other? I think you all are pretty far along on that. I think you do it beautifully. It's one of the things I love about your life together as a class, is that you really are willing to ask for help, Uh, you're willing to offer help, and you're willing to acknowledge that you need each other. And that's a beautiful thing. And um, I think that's one of your your gifts to the rest of Muncie. I think it could be a gift uh, to the wider community, is your, your life together. So, last thing he says, that we need. So we've, little less isolation, little less independence, little more invitation. And here, uh, I think what we want to say is we're not just talking about uh, inviting people to Muncie. Although, that's okay if you want to invite people to Muncie but I think it only makes sense to invite people to Muncie if there is a vision, if, if Muncie is holding up and living out a vision of what it means to be the body of Christ, that is inspiring. We're back to the first one. <laughs> right. We're not asking people to join a club We're not asking people to just come someplace where uh, even they'll be accepted, although we hope that's true. But we hope that we have a captivating vision that we we didn't make up, that God has revealed to us about what God is doing in the world, this incredible grand restoration project of making all things new. And that God desires to make us part of that restoration project. And we're at work being part of that. And that takes lots of different forms. And we, we invite people into that vision, which is much, much bigger than Muncie. Much, much bigger than Muncie. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And we invite people into that. Um, And we do that partly with our lives. Um, Whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, um, our daily lives bear embodied witness to something. (coughs) (laughs) There are days I wish it didn't, but it just does, right? Um, And our life together ought to bear embodied witness to this incredible work of restoration that Paul calls the new the new creation God is making all things new and we get to be part of that and we invite other people to catch that vision and to be part of it as well so we'll be we'll be keeping those sort of five eyes in view as we begin in the next several weeks to unpack what really matters, and how do we decide what really matters as a way of being clear about what we're fighting for. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we stand amazed that you have invited us into your very life. You want nothing more than to draw us and all of creation into deep and intimate relationship with you and one another. We pray that that vision, that invitation, might be in the forefront of not just our minds but our lives this week as we seek to open up as we seek to uh, engage our neighbors in whatever context give us eyes to see the your image in them and may we as we enter this season of Lent Uh, Be mindful of the life that you want for us. That the life that you desire for us to live is so much richer, more beautiful than the life that we desire for ourselves. May we trust you to walk by faith into the life you've called us to live, both as people and as your people. We pray this through Christ.